eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning. I've got workers next door. Everything's going great. By Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how the hell are you? I'm good, Dave. You got a little distracted by the workers there for a second. Before you even, then you remembered you had to introduce me. I get it. Yeah. Well, it was it was a it was um it was an aside parenthetical, but it was okay. in speech. You know, got it. Um, yeah. But how's that jacuzzi they, coming next door? They started playing mariachi music in the middle of my sentence, which was part of the problem. Well, that's kind of fun, though. Yeah, it is kind of fun. Yeah, that's uh, really fun. Well, that kind of brightens is, your day. I think my mic is is close enough to my face that you don't actually hear much of what's going on next door. Only I don't I hear do. a thing. I don't hear a thing. I would like to hear, I think it'd be great if we had a little background of mariachi. Maybe I'll dub that over. Um, We got a lot to talk about. There's a lot, uh, and sometimes we say that and it's not true. Right now it's very true. Uh, It's early February. Um, This is, you know, classic time to be gearing up for signing day, basketball in full swing. But instead, Tracy, we're going to lead with this. Our man, Chip Kelly, the UCLA head football coach, uh, we have talked about this at length for about a month, month and change now. Uh, but a lot of corroborating reports in the last couple of days, he is pursuing open offensive coordinator jobs at the NFL level. There was a report yesterday from Ian Rappaport that he interviewed twice, uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders offensive coordinator job, which ultimately went to Cliff Kingsbury. There was another report, as we've been reporting, that um, Dan Quinn uh, and Chip Kelly are pretty linked and that uh, he will be considered for that Washington Commander's offensive coordinator position. We know he would have been interested in the offensive coordinator position at Seattle if Dan Quinn had been hired there. Uh, There was also some speculation from another reporter that he might be interested in the Boston College head coaching job. That's the one I'm a little bit more speculative about. I don't think this guy wants any more part of college. However. That's a lot of noise, man. That is a lot of noise. Um, and remember back when we were the people just uh, um, projecting the noise and everyone kind of poo-pooed us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. said, um, yeah, no, this is real. And everyone kind of really discounted it. And then we decided to just um, go to our own forum. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> because we thought those were at least trusting souls. And we're then gun shy. Um, we're gun shy. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> at this point, the public kind of can just go screw themselves. And um, <laughs> you know, we got to respect the bros. But even there were bros that were skeptical. I mean, even as recently as a few days ago, saying I still think this is just 
you know, agency smokescreen or whatever. And it's not, it's just plainly not the situation. By the way, regardless of any one of those. Oh, go ahead. I got to throw in an aside really quick. I got to throw in an aside really quick. Okay. Uh, The same people telling us all this stuff, by the way, were the same exact people telling us about Chip Kelly potentially being fired in November. By the way, everyone, just so you know. Yes. Just so you know, uh, that was real too. Yeah. Until it suddenly wasn't. It's all real. And it all, it, it just, things change. It's not like you say something and it's set in stone. Things can literally change by the hour. And we yeah. won't use the word. But, but it's that's, clickbait. Tracy, it's clickbait. It's clickbait. You're, you're just baiting clicks. Um, so whether all those little things that you just detailed, if any one of them is absolutely truthful or one's just a rumor or one's false, we know it and it's being now corroborated because there is no way first I know it to be true, but just, it seems like a lot of people don't just want bro to say it. They, they need it validated elsewhere. At this point, I think this is pretty validated that chip Kelly is looking for another job. Yes. That's simple. It's just, just accept that there. I think now we're to the point there's a little bit, there's almost no denial. Of course, if he doesn't ever take another job and he comes back to UCLA, there will be all the people saying, oh, that was just, it was nothing. It was was just fabricated. Again, we had heard that he talked to Kirk Ferentz about the Iowa offensive coordinator job. And I don't think that one was super serious. I think that was more of a casual conversation, but that happened too. We've we've heard that. So So, there's a lot going on here. So uh, whether we're going to talk about if it's going to happen or not, we can't say I, like there's so many moving parts in all of this. You know, it was kind of contingent on Dan Quinn because they're buddies and he was a, a coach that Chip Kelly respected and he could uh, work with when say work for it, but work with. Um, so we can, we don't know every single detail of every single option here. Right. The bigger picture and whether he takes a job or not. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, we're all kind of a little bit on the edge of our seats. I get it. The bigger picture here is it's everyone has to accept the fact that Chip Kelly does not want to be at UCLA right now. Right. I mean, that's just plain fact. And that's a and just so everyone understands, that's a relatively recent development. Um, Yes. Towards the end of the season, he was. Oh yeah, I'm gonna stick it out, and I want to, you know, continue to make my money, and uh, I think I've got something building here. And it was looking at this recruiting cycle. I think has been eye opening for everyone, but particularly Chip Kelly. I mean, we're not we're not um, uh, providing a subjective opinion when we say this is the worst UCLA recruiting class in history. That is, uh, as far as we have any structure to uh, evaluate it, that is just fact. That is based on the evaluation metrics that we do not create. That is from recruiting experts who are outside of the bro universe. Uh, this is um, it's a it's a dire situation for UCLA in recruiting right now, um, and that's I mean on top of everything else, on top of getting airplane banners flown uh, saying you know they want them fired, on top of a lot of the just tumult around the job that has been since basically mid November. Uh, looking at the reality of the roster he's going to be able to build and the fact that he's going to have to re-recruit his roster every single year, all of that combined uh, has has changed the game for him. Um, yes. Um, uh, just, just to talk a little about, you know, signing days next Wednesday. Does Remember, it's so weird. We get into a an era or a period where we're used to things and things are happening and it wasn't too long ago really when signing day was such a big thing. Now no one even cares. Yeah. Uh, first off, that's one thing, but um, just to, to clarify uh, UCLA, there's still a couple of 2024 high schoolers that they're involved with. True. If they sign those guys, it will move. They'll probably move from 50. I think they're currently ranked 57th in the country combined. Uh, overall, that's to like fiftieth, forty ninth. Yeah, you know what? You have that ca- class calculator, mm-hmm. and sometimes I use that. And then once they get committed, there's some uh, uh, 
something in the machine magically doesn't correspond with that thing. So I, I don't know, maybe 50th. Who knows? But let's say they move up. It moves up Not to the se- quite worst ever. That's yes, what it'll be. The second worst and only the second worst next to the year New Heisel was fired. Right. And new and that year, and that- I think there were only a, there were only eleven recruits. Yep. Something like that. So that that just puts it in perspective. People were nitpicking. Oh, it might not be the worst. <laughs> okay. It's 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 pretty bad. Um, regardless. Um, but anyway, and, uh, the bigger picture though, Dave, he doesn't want to be at UCLA. That's yeah. the biggest picture. And that is just step back and just uh, drown out everything else and just think about that. So people are asking like, how does this happen? So Chip Kelly came to UCLA because he had, I mean, we'll be straight. He had failed in the NFL. Yep. He, he was looking to get a job. Uh, he was still a hot commodity in uh, on the college ranks ucl he was coveted name on the market that cycle most coveted name that cycle ucla signs him it's a big deal everyone's relatively happy of course there are always naysayers and you know you can say hey you guys were right i get you but no but we were excited we thought we were excited everyone was was drawn in and thought this was a great development for ucla football um but i can tell you the overview is and you can see it i mean Chip Kelly doesn't, you know, dreadfully dislike being at UCLA, but it also was always considered the possible stepping stone for him getting back to the NFL. Mm -hmm. He devised, uh, if we look at his offense, it's a good offense. It's probably not the most ideal for succeeding in college football. It's a Sunday offense. Um, Remember when we first heard, uh, first off, he wasn't going to use the blur and he was going to go to a tight end heavy offense and we were all, what? Mm-hmm. Th- that is geared, this offense is geared for the NFL. Mm-hmm. This has been kind of an audition, an offensive audition for the NFL. That was entirely intended. I know this from very good sources. Um, he thought he'd be able to come to UCLA Uh do really well offensively because he's, I'm not going to say offensive genius. It gets thrown around too much, but he's a very good offensive coach. He could hire a few friends on defense and they, he would be able, I'm not going to say mail in, but he would be able to assume he'd win at UCLA. That didn't happen initially. Yeah. Looked pretty bad there for a while. COVID kind of prolonged it and saved it. Then the transfer portal kicked in and really saved it. UCLA became a transfer destination. Now, while this is happening, Chip Kelly, his his wife likes to live in Southern California. Who wouldn't? Uh, um, it's not that he likes necessarily be at UCLA. He's not driven to win at a high level at UCLA, but comfortable in his job. But there was always the intention of getting back to the NFL if the situation was right and that he'd be able to pick the situation of going back to the NFL, the ideal launching pad would be UCLA wins 10 games and the NFL comes calling for head coaching positions. I mean, that's how this has all been. So when people ask, how did this happen? How did he get here? Um, This is, these are the steps, right? So then transfer portal has a few uh, successful seasons. Then NIL kind of changes the transfer portal um he had not in chip kelly style he had not laid the groundwork the basis for relationships with donors which nil really require so the bottom fell out fell out of transfer recruiting i try to emphasize that all humans but coaches too are a little bit delusional about who they are and how successful they are i think from what i've heard Chip Kelly was still pretty confident in what he was doing at UCLA, but it started to, he started to hit a little bit of a realization when uh, struggling to recruit the transfer portal in this last transfer portal window. They struggled to get uh, uh, transfers interested. They struggled to have them visit. Um, The program 
uh, blame that on a lack of NIL. Now they can say that's not us. That's the fans problem. But as I've, we've said, there are plenty of donors that are sitting on the sideline because of Chip Kelly and Chip Kelly has, has failed to, uh, develop relationships with, with donors, which would lead to NIL donations. So this is where we are. So now he's starting to see, wow, next season's going to be a struggle. So if he if his goal really is to get back to the NFL, the money everyone's trying to and we talked about the money and we said we'd have to explain it so many other times, but his path back there makes more sense to leave this year. If he's thinking next year's going to be miserable, it makes more sense to get back there, sign a three year uh, guaranteed deal as on as an offensive coordinator, uh, even spurning that six million dollars from ucla it still makes sense because if he did well as an offensive coordinator in the nfl he'd be the way the nfl hires coaches my god uh, 35 year olds retreads you know he would if he did well as an offensive coordinator he'd absolutely be a candidate again for a head coach so this is the path so then as i said transfer portal looks bleak he starts thinking I, I should leave now and starts putting out feelers about offensive coordinator positions. This is all, wow, corroborated by people close to UCLA, people not associated with UCLA in the media that I know, people in the agent world, just random site publishers in our network messaging us, telling us, hey, we heard X about this. Uh, it's out there. Yes. So that's where we are. And now I think coaches feel, which is really interesting. They feel they can put out feelers and show interest in a job without it getting out there. Um, in this day and age, I just don't know why they would think that could happen. Just, I, uh, I, I think so, it shows a little bit of the extent of the desperation of someone that they're willing to take that risk because he, you have to know if you do this, and it, there's enough noise, it's going to cause a major fallout that you don't want to be at that program. So it's several things. It's first you have, um, so Jim Mora did this a lot where he had his agent float stuff, um, but it was always after success. Had a successful season, agent float some stuff. But that two- was also agent floating things a lot for the PR bump of it. Right. But my point is, he was doing that to leverage an extension. That's not what's happening yes. here, or yes. at least it's not what's happening here if he's smart. Uh, Chip Kelly is trying to get another job. It's a very different situation because I don't want people to make the analogy that this is like what Jim Mora was doing because Jim Mora was always leveraging more money out of UCLA, more commitment, all that kind of stuff. And Maybe he also wanted to go back to the NFL. That was also part of it. But mostly leveraging UCLA, Jimmy Sexton doing his job. Chip Kelly right now is trying to get another job. From UCLA's perspective, uh, he's not a guy that you would extend right now. You wouldn't give him more years on his contract. You wouldn't give him more buyout. What do you do when your coach is actively pursuing other positions that are uh, effectively a demotion uh, from your job? He is showing you, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he has very little interest in continuing to be here. Um how do you, when college football is so much now, more than it's ever been, and it's always been a harder job, being a college football head coach has always been a harder job than being an NFL head coach. Always has been, always will be, simply because of the recruiting cycle. But now on top of that, they have to make fundraising, not just like the number three or four in their list of things to do, but it's basically 1A, if not right there at the top. Um and that's not Chip Kelly's bag. So you've got a guy who doesn't really want to be here. He wants to be elsewhere. And you're going to commit to him for another full cycle? So say he doesn't get the commander's job or he declines to take that one because it's across the country or whatever. And say the Boston College thing isn't real. Uh, are you going to commit to a guy who has shown you, Martin Jarman, UCLA administration, that he doesn't want to be here? Are you going to let him continue to do his thing for this entire cycle 
and put yourself even further behind. Because is he going to start fundraising in the next nine months? Is he going to start building major booster relations, the kind of groundwork that needs to happen if UCLA is going to have uh, success of any sort in the Big Ten? That's the question you have to ask beyond like whether or not he's going to take another job. What are you going to do about that? And then, number two, if this was any other coach in UCLA's history where it was getting out that he was pursuing jobs that are effectively a demotion, it's one thing to be pursuing an NFL head coach job. I think everyone would say that's an upgrade. Going from UCLA to an NFL head coach job, because like I just said, it's less work for probably more money. Everyone would say that's an upgrade. Going to an offensive coordinator position looks so bad for your school, looks so bad if UCLA had a pulse in recruiting. Recruits would be like, wait, 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 this guy's going where? What, what's he looking at? He's looking at offensive coordinator positions? I can't go there. But because UCLA is recruiting at such a low level right now, they've reset expectations so low that that's not even a factor, which is crazy, which is going back to point one, how can you let this continue? How can you let this continue? That's, I think we're all so deep in it that you need to step back, like I said at the beginning, and, and get the perspective as, of this is this is stunning. It's absurd. It's absurd, stunning. There are so many adjectives uh, that you could just heap on the here. The latest embarrassment in a absolutely gobsmacking two months of embarrassment. If we're talking about, we've always talked about things that can hurt the UCLA brand that that will hurt you in terms of God, just uh, when you hurt the brand, you hurt uh, it on so many levels. You, you hurt uh, people thinking, uh, I don't want to go to a game. I don't want to buy the sweatshirt. I don't want to donate. Uh, how can you attract a, a good coach? Why would a coach want to be there? I mean, all, there's, I could just keep listing and listing and listing. Mm-hmm. This is hurting the brand. You have at one point. Now, now let's let's just look at UCLA and think. You know, try to put ourselves in their shoes. They're thinking. I know why they they considered making a change with Chip Kelly. Like we said, they looked at it and thought they can't afford it, given the the nine million dollar buyout. Can't afford which not is on. Which is on them for making that deal. But let's just say in their mind, Dave, they've determined from the chancellor's office, they can't do that, right? That's what they thought before. Now at this point, you cannot not afford to do this. You can't afford not to. That's what I'm trying to say. When we are at a point where this is happening, to, to save face and get any kind of reputation back and your brand back, you can't let this happen. No, it's, I mean, it is, this is, it's, it's something where, again, the bar has been set so low that I think uh, the, the, the expectations have been totally reset and it's crazy what's happened. We've got, um, and it's, it, it's almost implicit that it's been happening because you've got uh, UCLA itself as an institution touting eight minimum of eight wins for three straight seasons, as if that is some sort of goal with the schedule they had. You've got, um, well, you know, they're running a good program with good citizens, as if that's the goal. Uh, No, 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 no. This is UCLA. Um, Like the whole like champions made here, like all that, all that gobbledygook. Uh, The, the fact that it's, you know, the number two or three winningest uh, program in Pac-12 history uh, number two or three, I think now in Rose Bowls, I think Washington got ahead this year. Uh, all that stuff is real. Um, and as recently as 10 years ago, they were winning double digit games, uh, three straight years. Um, this is, uh, it's, it's expectation resetting. And now it's getting to an even lower level where two months ago it was Danton Lynn, uh, being allowed to go across town for a, lateral move that's turning out to be even maybe a slight sublateral move because I think he's co-defensive coordinator now, or at least there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen. So that happened. Uh, then he stole uh, two of UCLA's best defenders to go along with him. And that was just allowed to happen because UCLA didn't match salary. 
Um, and maybe he wouldn't have accepted it anyway if he'd gotten a match, but they and, didn't and, match. And I understand what you, I, I do see what you say he's doing there right now. If you tried to fire Chip Kelly, uh, you would be on the hook for a $9 million buyout. Um, if anything happens with Chip Kelly, they're hoping that he does it because then he would owe them the buyout and, and they probably wouldn't in, you know, enforce the whole $9 million buyout, maybe a little, that but is, that's the way they get out from under this. And that is Indiana level thinking. That right. is that it, you have changed and the expectations I, for this program. And this is, this is really weird of me to say, but just a month and a half ago, I almost can understand the thinking now, given how the name has been besmirched by what's going on now. It's not, you can't accept it. You, the administration cannot accept this. It's cascading embarrassment. It's cascading uh, degradation of the brand. And you, I mean, look, they're going to, I mean, I, I I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, wait, what really fast. There's gotta be, I, I would have a team of UCLA lawyers looking at, looking at the contract just saying, if this is, if this is, a breach of the contract of, 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 I mean, I think there is something about their upholding the program and the brand. And this is not it. This is one where I think chips being very canny, you know, it's been very public, uh, going around to high schools in the last week and a half. Yeah. Chip Kelly. Uh, yeah. Because he, he, from a contractual standpoint, he wants yeah. to, he's saying I'm doing my job. I am. I'm fulfilling the terms of my contract. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, machinations, but I think the reality is um, if UCLA uh, decided not to do it at the end of November, they're not going to do it now. It's just, and this is the part that I think is, is hardest to, to fathom, which is uh, if he doesn't get a job, like if he doesn't get an offensive coordinator job, he's going to be back next year. And he's going to be back throughout this recruiting cycle through the end of, you know, the next transfer portal cycle in April, he's going to be here. He sh- like legitimately they, they can't, they, they should not continue with this, but they're probably going to. Um, and what's so crazy is, I mean, Dave, you and I and, and the bros have been able to anticipate where things were going. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back years and years, I mean, it's what we've done and we've done it pretty well, but the bros have too. I mean, we, Let's just put it this way. You and I are paid to think about this. The bros aren't paid, but they're still damn good at yep. thinking about where this is going and, and what's going to happen. Yep. We anticipated all this stuff happening. Now, just thinking right now, what, what happens? I mean, it's it's going to hit a point where it gets out to all the fans, even the fans who don't, the older fans who don't read a lot, they're going to start hearing Chip Kelly does not want to be here. I mean, as soon as they don't get that first down on third and two, I mean, the Rose Bowl is going to be resoundingly filled with booze. I mean, this is going to get so next season. It's just untenable at this point to where so many situations contributed. It was UCLA's administration. It was uh, the money situation. And now it's Chip Kelly pushing it to the point. I can't believe that there isn't anyone. I mean, we're pretty smart, Dave. We're not that smart. There are a lot of people smarter than we are. And I'm sure there are people smarter than we are at UCLA that they're not sitting in a room saying, oh my God, this is untenable for next season. The only thing I can think about in talking to people around UCLA athletics is it's in a delusional bubble and they don't see it. They refuse to see it because it's, it's counter to their own jobs. But if there's no one in that bubble that sees that this is going to make for an untenable season, what's going on right now. I'm, I'm stunned (laughs) that they're not seeing it. I've made this point before, um, but I'm just going to make it again. And it's going to sound a little bit arrogant or whatever. And I really don't intend it to be. Um, Arguably the two people most invested in the success of UCLA (laughs) athletics are you and me. And I, I, and I, I mean that genuinely because more than probably anyone involved in the apparatus, our money is tied to the success of UCLA athletics. When basketball and football are good, number go up. When they're bad, number go down. Let's say this, though. I want to say this about Bro. Um, of, I don't know, 10 years ago, Scout, which used to be the network, did an analysis of all the fan, fan bases. Mm-hmm. UCLA's fan base, now it, 
in terms of number, support, money, attendance, interaction, just all that. I can't even remember what um, all the factors were. The UCLA fan base for support was ranked 32nd in the country by scout. At that time, bro was like fifth yeah. in the scout network. So um, that was when like the UCLA teams weren't good. So let's just give ourselves a little credit so, on our content level. It does go up whether they win. I just wanted to add that, that we're yeah, just yeah. not completely. We're not, we're not, we're not riding the wave entirely. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we, we do pretty good work, but yeah. my point that. is the, the, the margins increase drastically when UCLA is good and they decrease when UCLA is bad. Like these are, these are noticeable things that happen. That's when the churn happens. Um, so when we, so here's the thing. A lot of people have contracts. Um, Chip Kelly has a contract. It pays him $6 million no matter what the hell he does. If he goes two and 10, he gets 6 million bucks. If he goes 10 and two, he gets 6 million bucks and a couple of incentive bonuses. Uh, but it's the same money. And people at UCLA, they're getting paid salaries, whether they win 10 games in football, lose 10 games in football, doesn't matter. This is, it's a different- And wait, something to add there too. They don't have to. They don't have to win if they just stay at a certain level. They get to retain their job, which is mm-hmm. so important. The job retention, and so much of UCLA. What happens there is the the motivation of an objective is to retain your job. Yeah, not do job. really well and and succeed in a bigger picture of the program succeeding. It's a bureaucracy to retain your job. The uh, bureaucracy is uh, the perpetuation of bureaucracy. Like that is the main goal. Um, So, but that's, and that's not, I'm not trying to denigrate, um, but I think there is, um, and this is something I've talked about, and this is not a, this is not a problem with Martin Jarman. It's a problem with just kind of the general idea. He came in and he does not have an institutional understanding of UCLA. Uh, it doesn't have a historical understanding of UCLA. He doesn't understand what proper expectations are for these programs, or at least he didn't. I don't know if he's getting there, but he didn't when he came in. And this is part of the problem, which is the reason the fan base has died in the last four to five years has a lot to do with COVID, but it has a lot to do with UCLA, even when they are winning eight games or whatever, not competing at the level that UCLA fans expect. UCLA fans aren't stupid. They're watching the team. They watch it. They watch it lose meaningful games every single year, and they watch it take a cake schedule and, okay, more or less average par against it. Um, this is uh, – it's not rocket science. Uh, you, you don't have to go that far back into history to see the Rose Bowl hopping and see recruits signing up in droves and see fans actually excited about UCLA football. And the, the difference in wins was only like – a win a year more than what they're doing in the last three years. But it was the quality of those wins. It was the quality of the teams we were watching. Like when you think about 2013 UCLA and you think about Brett Hundley, you think about Eric Kendricks, you think about Anthony Barr, you think about all these dudes across the team and the level of excitement you got from it. Miles Jack. The level of engagement that Jim Mora had with the fan base, the level of just like, incentivizing getting hyped up at the Rose Bowl, not doing away with like traditions that mean things to fans, not like inviting people out to spring practice and having just the spring, the spring game, Dave, the spring game going to San Bernardino, which you and I personally hated brought so many people out to fall camp, brought so many people out there watching on two big fields, watching the team compete, getting everyone excited about it. Like it was a, it was like a big like to do like it was a big like kind of party atmosphere and to it doesn't like i i feel like i'm taking crazy pills when i talk about the jim moore era because it wasn't that great it was just fine but this i mean he was not a great coach he was just some dude like some dude who wanted to be there who gave a crap it's not that hard like it really isn't you just need somebody no, who wants to be there. That's the number one thing. You want someone, you need someone who wants to be there. And that's okay. that's also the coach and that's also the athletic director. Yeah. 
and this is, uh, and you know, I don't want to get too far into all that stuff again. We've got to move on to basketball, but we do. Uh, right now, uh, it's a we're all kind of hanging in and watching uh, to see if Chip Kelly's going to take one of these gigs. We'll obviously keep you updated on any of that as it happens. Right now, we haven't heard that he's taking anything, so we'll see. I, I, but by the time you even publish this, something yeah. could change because it's things change. change. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But we got to talk about something that's actually happy, something that's actually good, something we're all enjoying watching a little bit right now. And you know what? Yeah, UCLA basketball. And this is let's just this immediate segue. Yep. Um, in that program, you've got a coach who's who's not from here. No. His staff isn't from here. No. Um, made up uh, recruiting. A lot of kids that aren't from here. And uh, there is a deep burning desire to win at this level. There is a competitive, a competitiveness, a fire that you just can't even imagine. And that's when people say we need Bruins because Bruins appreciate what it's like to be at UCLA and they want to win for UCLA. That can kind of be true. I, I see. I, 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 I get that. But it's not exclusive to that. There, there yeah. are people who just Mick Cronin. I would and, say, from what I know of him, glass. is the most competitive person, most yeah. competitive coach I've ever been around. Yeah, he's crazy competitive. Where honestly, it's not healthy. No, and it's 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 a it's it's out there, man. And that's what you need at this level is someone who's so driven and it's such a contrast. Like even when we're just talking right now, when we're talking about football, then we go into this and I just get hit by this wave of a person and it, and it's the tone is set by that head coach. Yeah. I mean, the competitiveness is set by the head coach, the, the assistant coaches, the players, it all just trickles down. The difference in the contrast, uh, the difference in NIL. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Mick Cronin is is has a second job, and that's uh, promoting donor relations now. Um, so I just wanted to say that in that transition, it's such a stark contrast. Yeah. Um, and so, it, and it's not that you need a Bruin. You just have to recognize. Um, and I, I'm not saying Mick Cronin's the best basketball coach on earth. There is one thing where he is in the elite level, and that's competitiveness. Yeah, he and wants it. He he wants it, and that's what you need in a coach. Yeah, at UC, at UCLA, that he's competitive and hungry to win at this level. Okay. Yeah, and and pissed off for greatness because I think one thing that Mick has that um, if I had to analogize one thing with Jim Mora, they're very different people in a lot of ways, but that guy was pissed off for greatness, especially those first three years, and pushed UCLA hard hard, hard, hard all the time to try to get new and better and all that kind of stuff. Mick Cronin, uh, and look, we're not idiots. We're talking about a 10 and 11 team right now, but the the feeling around that program is just so different from the feeling around football. Uh, and with basketball, we've now watched them win four of five, uh, probably should have been five of five, um, but for some uh, – some not very good whistles at Arizona. 
playing significantly better basketball. Last night was the first one that actually they played like a per- nearly perfect game against USC. They played a nearly perfect game against Washington a couple weeks ago. Last night they won ugly, but they won ugly in a very specific way, which is so portends so many good things for the end of the season because they won in the Mick Cronin ugly way, which is we're going to play pretty good defense. We're going to offensive rebound the shit out of it. And we're not going to turn the ball over. And the end result was they shot 12 more shots than Oregon state shot two more free throws. And it didn't matter that Oregon state had a great shooting night that they made a lot of covered shots in the first half. It just didn't matter because UCLA was going to clean up the glass not turn the ball over and turn you over enough. And if we're talking about like, there's a lot of individual stuff. You wrote a great thing about Dylan Andrews, which I want to get into, but just the overarching thing, the guys bought in to that style of basketball and they look fully locked in and bought in now. Um, We've talked, we talked about it earlier in the week when we did our three pointers, we talked about it a little bit last week, but there's potential to make a run over these last 10 games. Um, and maybe it doesn't end in an NCAA tournament bid. Who knows? But it's going to end with this team looking a ton better at the end of the season than they looked at the beginning of the year. Yeah, let's uh, let's first talk about like what you just touched on. Um, when you have a team that shoots forty-two percent in a game, and and uh, you know what, you have a team that's effective. It's effective shooting percentage is like 45.7%. It's 328th in the country. <laughs> you need to win, you need to find ways to win and the way to find to win is through defense. And we thought, you know, we were always just banging that defensive drum, but damn if it's not offensive rebounds. Oh yeah. And now keeping the turnovers down. So you are in while you're only shooting a crappy a crappy percentage, you're getting so many more possessions and, and more shots. Um, it's the only way to squeeze out just for Cronin to realize this is how I have to squeeze out, squeeze out wins. Um, there are so many other things to say about what's happening, the transformation that we're seeing in, in UCLA basketball over the course of the season, over the course of the last, uh, two and a half weeks. Um, we've seen a Dembona. We've talked a lot about him. Uh, about how he's changed his game, developed his game. He had 18 points last night on seven of 10 shooting. Still made a few uh, mistakes. Those two, uh, those two fouls were just so unnecessary, and that's probably what got UCLA in trouble. I hate to put it all on a Dembona because I mean he's carrying the team for most of the season, right? But uh, he's just something's got to click in his brain when he's about the. Get into a get into a situation where he has the chance to make a dumb foul. That is going to be a critical thing forward for UCLA to keep sustain this momentum and the and this uh, this success that it's experienced. That's huge. Thing, I, I do have to add something there because the shocking thing about Adem is he doesn't pick up fouls in the normal ways a center picks up fouls. Yeah, like he had like maybe and I'd one be left. fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> and he doesn't do that. He plays. Like his positional defense has become absolutely excellent. Like his ability to stay straight up, move his legs, and just create a wall for the opposing center has become so good. He does not foul that. He fouls 40 feet from the basket, touching some guy because he's so aggressive. He needs to go to like reaching foul anonymous. There's something. God, just don't do that. Just in your brain, if you're. Uh, more than 12 feet away from the basket, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, he aggressively hedges. Like, that's one of his things. It doesn't often result in a steal. And the thing is, I was watching Devin Williams, who I thought was playing at, like, 170 miles per hour in that game. But his hedges, I'm like, he's doing enough. Like, he's showing, redirecting the ball handler enough that the defender can get back over there, and then he's recovering. Just do that, Adem. You and do you know not what? need to get out there and play possessional defense for a second. You don't. I'm glad you Just, brought that up because in because we're going to talk a lot about Dylan Andrews um, in in his defense of uh, Jordan Pope. Adem, uh, one of the big things are at least three or four uh, moments where Adem Bona's hedging really helped with Pope. 
yeah. that that they needed it because <laughs> Dylan Andrews is getting screened right every I mean every possession he was getting screened on an average of probably two to three times trying to follow around Jordan Pope and a den bonus a den bonus um, hedges were excellent actually he did he did really well I mean uh, so yeah a lot of it is about has been about a den bonus improvement but um, let's before we talk about Dylan Andrews, there's a couple other guys too. Um, uh, Lazar Stefanovic is playing a lot better. He played four, <laughs> and this is something we're against. He played 40 minutes. He did not come uh, come off the court. Yeah, um, I think it's it's uh, it's hurting him to play that much. He disproved that for me last night he scored 15 points he did only shoot six of 14 um but three of eight he is now shooting like i think in his last five games he's shooting like 40 percent from three or something ridiculous yeah so um 33 on the year yeah 33 of the year so he's improving definitely and he's improving just because mostly on offense that he's getting squared up and UCLA is moving the ball. It's executing its offense better. He's getting so much better, so many better looks than he did before. Um, he's playing good defense. He's a great offensive rebounder. He's a good overall rebounder. So there's that. Um, your boy, Will McClendon, was key last night. Oh, yeah. When, we, when we've got uh, Sebastian Mack uh, really unable to play, played 14 minutes, because of his toe, uh, they brought in your boy, Will McClendon. He had eight points on three of six shooting two of four from three, but he, and here's the thing led the team in rebounds at seven rebounds. And not only that, if you go back and watch that game, if you want to watch someone who's doing so many things, right on both sides of the court, He's making the extra pass. He's rotating the ball perfectly. And then on defense, there were so many times when he, his, uh, not only his on ball defense, but his help defense was exactly right. Like when he's decided to help someone else, when he uh, sneaks over from his man, just everything was done so well. He was yeah. so key. And then there's that three that hit the front of the rim and dropped in, which was, it was really beautiful. Cool. Uh, I, I got I to take And wait, one more thing. One more thing. He's gotten more athletic. He looks quicker now than he did even at the – I think it's because he's, he's playing with more confidence that he's not as tentative. But he's doing a few more things. He's dribbling in. He's dribbling in a couple of, couple of dribbles, taking a shot. He's actually looking like he might drive, you know, a couple of times and take it all the way into the hoop. He's doing more, and he looks more athletic to me. Yeah, his uh, David Singleton arc is in full effect. It um, really is. Uh, I, I gotta at some point, I gotta go find the old clip of me uh, touting Will McClendon back in like July or whatever. Oh no, I gotta, I gotta do a full victory, victory lap, lap at some point. This has <laughs> been this has been such an ascendancy for me. Now um, let's just let's just put it in percent. I I like Will McClendon. He showed me that I like him. I still uh, he's still to me on a good UCLA team. Seventh, eighth guy, right? Yeah, he's David Singleton. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, Dave Singleton, okay. By his last year, he was starting, but yeah. if if you told me you get, uh, what is it? He gets how many more years? Two more he's years? He's a redshirt sophomore right now, so he gets yeah, two more. So he's basically at the, the third, third year David Singleton arc. Um, he gets two more years. Uh, he might be there by his fifth year. Like, I, He's following that path to a T. And David Singleton was the same guy. Didn't have great athleticism. If by the time his senior year comes around, he's throwing down like windmill dunks. (laughs) In practice. Like like Singleton was where we were all, who is that person? He never did it in a game. He Uh, he did a couple of, but he actually dunked the ball. Freshman, sophomore year, he didn't think he could dunk the ball. No. He actually threw down some dunks as a senior. I don't think Will McClendon's ever dunking the ball, but um don't it, ever don't don't i will never denigrate will mcclendon ever again um yeah i think what what stood out for me about last game and you nailed it again in your story but dylan andrews and that the the fact that a dembona didn't really 
impact the game a ton in the second half because he was on the bench for nine minutes of it. And then they started to double him more in the second half. So he had to pass the ball out a little bit more. Dylan Andrews taking over in the stretches where Bona was off the floor um, and playing with confidence, um, uh, clearly feeling his shot. Um, took one, We talked about this, I think, before, but uh, took one bad shot. But that was if, it. In the entire game, if he did one thing that was slightly wrong, one, he took one off-balance, two-quick shot. And everything very, else was almost all even. But it was a great lesson because yeah. immediately after that, uh, Oregon State went on a run because they'd been running the offense great. They'd been doing a lot of great things. Then he takes one bad shot and suddenly it's a run. And that's going to be a great teaching point for Mick Cronin because it's like, hey, you don't have to be perfect, perfect, but you got to be pretty close to it. And this is why. Um, and that was, I thought, uh, really critical. He played excellent, an excellent, excellent game. Lazar Stefanovic also played an excellent game. And those guys being able to do that with Bona off the floor, because that's a critical thing. We've been watching a lot these last, prior to this game, the previous four games, so much was dependent on a Dembona. Either he makes a play against single coverage, or he passes it out to a wide open shooter out of double coverage. This game, they had to make some stuff happen without Bona on the floor, and they were able to do it. Uh, Both ends. I mean, they played... I think it was four minutes of scoreless defense with Bona off the floor with Kenny Nuba in there. Um, there's there's something happening here where it's like that confidence breeds more confidence. Like what they're able to do with Bona, well, now guys can make a little bit of action off their own dribble. Now guys can you know drive in, pull up, and shoot a, a shot and actually have a hope of it going in. It's like all of that, you know, and this happens in all kinds of uh, sports, but one guy's ability kind of uh, floats out to everyone else and they feel more confident. Um, and then that just snowballs into yeah. uh, uh, success, especially with the young team. Yeah, uh, just to, to talk a little bit more about Dylan Andrews, um, because if he had just played that defensive game and done nothing offensively, I still would have said he played a superb game. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Pope's one of my favorite players in the Pac-12. Uh, I will uh, now watch Oregon State games to to watch him play i think that's um, a good team actually oregon state at this point in the year he it is a good team they've got two guys that are tough man uh Bilodeau, good <laughs> Bilodeau is good dang that guy scares me he scares me skill and the back when he backed in and just like so savvy when he backed in Will McClendon twice in a row, it was just yeah. like, oh, yeah, he's taking you to school. You got to give it to Will McClendon. You got to give it to Will McClendon. Though. <laughs> yeah. He's going up eight inches. Um, but the job he did in uh, – Jordan Pope, it, he's not just a shooter. He's averaging almost 18 points a game. He's shooting 40% from three. But he's not just a, sh- a shooter. And what I liked about him, he was at uh, Prolific Prep <laughs> – and he he was recruited at really the mid-major level. Oregon State was his best offer. Um, I watched him a lot. I liked him. I had to agree. Uh, back then, he looked about six foot. He's probably grown two inches. He's probably pushing six two. He's maybe six one and a half. He was, and he didn't necessarily look lightning quick. He's he's pretty damn quick now. Yeah. Um, he can score from all three levels. Uh, he's a good defender. Uh, he's one of my favorite players to watch. So I was, I was really dreading this game. Uh, I, uh, you know, usually there's a guy like a Jordan Pope who walks in to Polly and will score 27 points. And he was the guy. And I know I have faith in Dylan Andrews's defense, but what he did to Jordan Pope, if you want to watch something fun, man, go, go watch Dylan Andrews defend Jordan Pope running around the top of those screens I don't know how he did it sometimes. Yeah, no, he uh, Jordan Pope, hell. he was trailing Jordan, and then somehow he came out on the other end like it was coming out on the other end of a tunnel, and now he's right on his shoulder again. Yeah. It's It was crazy what he did to him. Yep. And he didn't get tired. He didn't tire in that game. He looked fine at the end of that game, and he played, what, 37 minutes. Yeah. Um, if you just – and just not his defense on Pope – but what else he did defensively, he <laughs> he got switched off a few times. He was smart enough. That one drive when Pope, when 
uh, Adai Mara got switched on to him. You can see there's a little second where they all realize what the situation is. Jordan Pope goes, oh, crap, I'm taking this 7-2 guy. And you can see Dylan Andrews' awareness going, oh, I don't give a crap about the guy I'm on. I'm going over here to double. And with Mara and Andrews, got Pope to step on the line. Yep. That awareness of knowing what to do defensively um, was really phenomenal if you watch Dylan Andrews. This was uh, just a gem of a defensive game. Yeah. Uh, one of the best. I mean, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, yeah, Jalen Clark played some great defensive games, but he wasn't on the ball. Like He this. was one-man team defense. What Jalen Clark was doing was like, I'm going to uh, take the ball. I'm just going to decide I'm going to take the ball from you three straight times. Just yeah. jump a passing lane. Yeah. Um, uh, no, this was this was like the kind of stuff we used to see from Aaron Aflalo, uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, where they would just take the opposing team's best guard and just take their soul away for like the most the majority of a game. Um, Darren Collison is a freshman. Uh, yeah. He would do this occasionally. Um, and this is, I mean, we did, it, it didn't, it wasn't as impressive, but what he did against USC was also elite on ball defense. Dylan Andrews, um, he's been playing, I would say, really good defense all year. What he's done the last couple of games is it's all Pac 12 level stuff. And if he can maintain that, if he's putting that kind of ball pressure on the opposing team's point guard every single game, it, that's, it's like um, it's like having a pass rush in football. It's like having a base pass rush. If you're doing that to the opposing point guard, you're disrupting every single possession. And unless they have some wing who's a great playmaker, you're going to like really, really kill that offense. And Oregon State's offense, like the only reason it scored what it ended up doing, 63 points, yes. they made a lot of tough shots. And if they didn't make like, and it wasn't just Pope. Pope made some. Tough they shots. shot. They shot the ball so well. I mean, Akano, there were Akano, wow. every time he was open made a shot every single time. And it's like yep. on open shots in a real game, you do not make a hundred percent of them. He made a hundred percent of his open ones and some tough ones. Um, it's just that's going to happen occasionally. But if you shut down an opposing team's point guard like Dylan Andrews was doing in this game, you're going to hold the team in the fifties most of the time. Um, and it's just that's as simple as that. If he does that the rest of this month, Yusu is going to win a lot of games. And you know, it's funny too. Um, he played 37 minutes. He played 19 minutes in the second half. He, he didn't get subbed, I think, in the first half until like the last three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think because um, Cronin looked up and said, Oh, holy crap. Um, so he, he, he spent three minutes on the bench of 40. The other way Cronin tried to get him a break was to take him off Pope for like, for two, like a two, possession or two. <laughs> two or three possessions when Will McClendon was in because McClendon pretty smart defender he cut him off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I'm telling you like Bona uh, did really well on help and, and hedging, but um, yeah, that's how he got his rest. You know, I'll let you go defend the other guy. I yeah. mean, that says so much. So I, we can't say enough really about that performance. It was, I watched it the first time live and I kept saying, this is a, this is an amazing performance. Then I watched it again this morning and I was blown away even more. Um, so where I think the, up, uh, uh, they're not going to play like this every game. They're not, they're going to have, they're going to have setbacks like with Bona, you know, he, he was doing well with his, uh, with his fouling. Then he had, you know, a couple of stupid fouls last night. This is going to happen. They're going to step back a little. Oh, I didn't Where, think they even played that well last night. I thought USC was much more of the like this is not something that's sustainable. But last night, well, he played rebounding and not turning the ball over is something that has been sustainable in, yeah. in from his tenure. He did play well from the standpoint that he was. Oh, you he, mean just for Dylan Andrews? Yeah, yeah, got it. Got yeah. It. Um, where I think the upside, where I want to see the improvement, the the four position is the weak link right yeah. now. Uh, they've got Brandon Williams in there and he's a true, he's a young kid, true freshman. He's, I mean, he's doing all right. Maybe, I mean, not, not great. He's holding it down at times, but 
And the ball's sticking with him more than it sticks with the other guys right now, aside from right. Mac. And Berke is still struggling, making a lot of just um he's uh, missed so much floor time. It's missed so and you can see it. I mean, he shot zero for six, but he just a lot of little things that just ticky tack fouls, doing things just not right. But he shows flashes though, mm-hmm. especially passing the ball. Like when you said the ball dies with Brandon Williams, it doesn't die with Berke. Berke moves the ball well. Found a couple of guys last night. Um, that was kind of impressive. That's where if they can get that position during the course of the last 10 games, the Pac-12 tournament, to really uh, be productive between those two guys and and Sebastian Max Toe gets to the point where he, he can play more, there there's there's some things happening here. This would be this is gonna be really interesting. And this league isn't good. UCLA, just so everyone knows, is two games out of first right now. Uh, and Arizona's going to lose more. I mean, if you've been watching that team, they're that's not a that's not a great team. Uh, they got to go. They still have to do the mountain road trip. They still have to play the at Utah and at Colorado. Uh, I'm not saying UCLA is going to win the conference, but right now I'd be probably putting some money on top four. I'd probably be putting money on a protected seed in the Pac-12 tournament. The remaining schedule is not. It's not a world-beating schedule. Um, they get the Arizonas at home. The remaining road trip that's going to be very difficult is the at Washington, at Washington State. Uh, this Tomorrow is a critical game. Tomorrow, I think, is a critical game for our expectations for uh, the potential of this team down the stretch. They have to beat Oregon at home, and that's a tall order. Uh, when they played them up in Eugene, uh, Nafali Dante was out. Um, their other big guy, names escaped me, was also out. Uh, they're... They're going to be tough to beat. Dane Altman's always tough to beat. If they pull that one off, they get to 500 coming out of this weekend. It's it's going to be hard to doubt their ability to finish this year strong and end up end up only having to play three games in Vegas at the very minimum. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking about after the USC win and we were talking about what we projected of the rest of the um, schedule... I mean, I'll admit, I hate to be a downer. I I said the Oregon game would be a loss at Washington State. Washington State's playing some good ball. Um, Those are the two ones that I think those are the two toughest games remaining on the schedule. Totally. Um, So I'm this is this is kind of gravy for me if they beat Oregon. Yeah. Uh, And then on uh, just to to even build on that more. It would get UCLA to even 11 11. Uh, so 500 ball after six clawing and five in conference and six and five in conference. <laughs> um, it, it's a it would be considered like a milestone turning point for this season to do it. Not, and that's not saying if they don't do it, like I said, there isn't a lot of goodness ahead, but this would be a big one, yeah. Yeah, if they can do this and then go into the Bay Area trip with some momentum, and um, that's if UCLA plays as good as it's playing right now, that is a sweepable road trip. Um, Cal's better than expected. Yeah, Stanford's how about out. that? Look yeah. at Cal. Look at Madsen. Look at Mad Dog. He's doing well. Um, and uh, and uh, Stanford's always Stanford. You know they can they can play up to their talent or down to their coaching. It really depends on the game. Um, but. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of potential, but I think it if they can somehow pull out tomorrow, that would be huge for momentum heading into February through this month and their confidence, which I think is such a key and unspoken factor. That confidence level, if they win this game tomorrow, it's going to be through the roof, um, and they're gonna they're gonna believe in a way that you know it's gonna be like Neo in the Matrix. Um, so it's gonna be fun. It's going to be a fun month. And here's the thing, too. I, I, we don't usually do this. We usually kind of are on the side of UCLA fans for not necessarily coming out to games. I mean, I understand. We're not fair weather fans at UCLA, but we appreciate winners. There's a, We've always said there's a lot. It's, the, it's a trade-off, all the positives for UCLA, but there's a lot to do in LA, so people, fans don't show up unless you're winning. Okay, let's just go with that. This is more exciting right now. This is at no, let's not say more. This is at least exciting right now than if you're silly were ranked 15th in the country. 
this is exciting right now to play Oregon in Poly Pavilion. Yeah, it's, it's the a, game's uh, at seven o'clock on Saturday. It gives you plenty of time to get there. It's, it's supposed a tight wire to, act. It's a tight wire act. Like that's the exciting part. If they were top fifteen and like you know they had seven losses right now, it'd be like, eh, they're pretty good. But right now, it's like, can they do it? It's can more, they get exactly. through this season? <laughs> it's more. It's more exciting to think of the upside of where they're going, and to go witness that and support it. It's not going to rain. It's just a little, you know, I got the precipitation. I'm looking at it on my phone right now. Just a little, I mean, after seven o'clock. So what else is getting there? It won't, exactly. Getting there, it won't even be raining. So it won't impact your drive. When you're in Polly, it will be raining. So perfect. And what else do you have? What are you going to do on Saturday night in February on a little rainy night? You've got to go to Polly Pavilion. This is, this is the thing. We insist upon it. Yeah. If you are a card carrying member of the bro community, we insist upon you attending this game. You know, it used to be fun too. You can get them on the secondary market. Go do it. I I don't know if you all remember, but when I was a student, Oregon State was actually pretty good. UCLA is playing Oregon State and it was pouring rain. I think I might have told this story before. Um, All the students lined up for the game. So everyone had their umbrellas. When all the students went in, lined, uh, literally filled the entire student section. I think they had to open it up. When they were announcing the Oregon State players, the whole uh, student section got the idea to open up their umbrellas. So the entire side of Poly Pavilion was, you could not see a person. It was just covered in umbrellas. It was really cool. That's awesome. That's the kind of support. We want that. Yeah. We want to see it from you. Bring your umbrellas. We're insisting upon it. Uh, card-carrying members of bros, um, you got to go do it. And I can say one thing. Knowing Mick Cronin, having a relationship with him, he he really s- sincerely loves UCLA. He, he really does. He loves being here. He loves John Wooden. He loves the program. He loves the school and everything it represents. He even understands a lot about the fans at times. But if he could change one thing, it would be the support at games, the fans at the games. Um, I think that would be the thing that he would really want to see improved. And that's all. I mean, right now, I, like we're saying, this is about as exciting as you can get. This team might turn around. What was the worst record, Dave? What were they? They were 6-10, and 10, Tracy. And Damn. one of the six was against Shamanad. And 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 they were coming off a forty point loss from Utah. I mean, Correct. they were low point of many many forty six. But who's counting? Yeah, forty forty six. <laughs> wow. See, I just made that forty. Um, and now look where they are. This is exciting. This is exciting stuff. Uh, I mean, if you, I, I, most of the you know fans come out when they say, "Oh, who are they playing? Oh, Oregon." I mean, Oregon is it is a team that. Most fans now say, oh, I might show up for them. Oregon is in first place in the Pac-12 Yeah, right now. This is a, t- this is a this game is a to come and see. Yeah, yep. it's a benchmark game. you yep. got to be there. Yep. Get there, uh, support your Bruins, uh, and, uh, and enjoy a fun game that could result in a win and UCLA uh, building more momentum going into February. All right, Tracy, are you done? Hey, Dave. Hey, tur- tell the mariachi to play a little louder i can kind of hear him you, you got it now good i like it um all right well for tracy pearson i'm david woods Bruin report online go to the game tomorrow talk to you next time see y'all